Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful lawyer. Uh, I feel like, is it Rod Serling from, from Twilight Zone and all these episodes? Because I'm like, this one's a little bit different. This episode's, so this episode's a little bit different. Uh, we're talking with Megan Robinson on the secrets to balancing management and leadership. This has been the single biggest topic, feedback, comment, questions that we have gotten across all of our engagement with all of you is the concept of the lawyer space missing out on management and leadership training and experience and whatnot. And so for, as those of you who work with Megan know, she is a wonderful coach for attorneys. And so we thought this would be the right topic to speak about when we had Megan on so that we can really dive into some of this balancing management and leadership uh, nadir issue dearth, however you want to phrase it, that we have in the legal profession. So today's episode is a little bit different because the topic truly came from you all, our listeners, our watchers, our audience, and those attorneys that we truly hope become better, happier, and more successful. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Uh, after this episode, after Megan and I go deep into this topic, you can listen to our previous episode, sort of along similar lines. Uh, Sharon V was on last week. She talked about how you rediscover your passions and create a life that you love. So we talked about finding the right practice area, some time management tips. Uh, we did go over a three-minute exercise on how you figure out what you truly like. We're going to circle back to that on Thursday. So now would be a good opportunity to go through it so that you can see if you have these same answers across several days. So that episode's link will be here. Uh, and now Megan and I are going to dive into balancing management and leadership. But before that, Megan, if you just want to give a, a, I don't know, brief intro um, about you. For those, for those people not lucky enough to know you. Oh, thank you so much, Jordan. Um, so I'm a business and leadership uh, coach, and I specialize really in that coaching and consulting world, where I find a lot of business owners think that they want a business consultant. And that's great when someone gives you all the plans and a strategy and rolls it all out. The problem is implementing it. And a lot of times those consultants are great at, at pointing you in the right direction. But when I started coaching people, and even when I was consulting, it really came into pulling that plan and co-creating something that was more aligned with that business owner's mission and values and vision for the organization. So I've been really bridging together that consultant coaching hat for a long time when I work with uh, lawyers. I'm also the president of ATD Chai Chicagoland Chapter. That's the Association for Talent Development. Um, I'm a certified DISC trainer and John Maxwell coach. I didn't know about the DISC thing. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I love DISC. Uh, I've did been using it for a long time. Did I tell you my, I guess I didn't tell you my, my DISC experience. So uh, it's mostly positive. Um, <laughs> So I was like, oh, this is so awesome. You know, like we'll get insight into everybody. And I was like, this will be a great thing to figure out hiring. Like we'll look at what are the right profiles for the right positions. And so I went through, I had everybody at my office do it. And I got a couple of our other prior attorneys who had left for obviously on positive terms. I was like, hey, will you do me a favor? You, you know, we loved you. You moved to a totally different state. You totally got out of practice of law, whatever it was. Would you take this profile so we can see like, you know, what about your, uh, I don't know, background, personality, motivating factors, whatever you want to call it fits. And at the time I had one employee who was like my least favorite and him and our two of our favorite prior employees, the exact same spot on disc. And I was like, no, I can't cheap out on how I, uh, I don't know how I put my potential hires through it. So so you're hoping that I would just give you the roadmap on exactly who you need to hire. Yes. And that, well, it, it's interesting. It does help you understand where a lot of people will gravitate towards, um, but it's really more on the behavioral. So a lot of how they'll respond to things or what they need may be similar, but I will say their level of self-leadership and how they communicate and how self-aware they are with that is not necessarily managed. So I don't know what the differences were between those two people. Um, <laughs> even so though much. <laughs> they were so different as human beings, but yet the same disc profile. 
So yeah, I know. I thought I, I thought I had hacked the system. I thought for whatever it is, you know, 75 bucks a person, I would get the ultimate test of good employees or not, at least for, you know, a specific role. Cause obviously my paralegals versus our marketing people versus our reception versus our sales uh, intake people, much different profiles that we're looking for. But this was like two attorneys in the same exact spot, same practice area, same whatever. And so if anybody has any tips, I'm still, uh, I'm still, I'm still working through what the right personality tests are for potential hires. Ooh, I, I still think this can be helpful in walking them through it and understanding, seeing how their awareness is of those different aspects and if they know what they need to be successful. And I, I don't know what the challenges were between the two people. So if you want to dive into that, I'm happy to go there, but, <laughs> but I don't want to get in the weeds. Well, I think this dovetails into management because like I still love DISC from a management perspective because you, it talks about how people want to be talked to, how people want to share, how what people do when the going gets tough. And those things I think are awesome from a management perspective. So maybe that's our not our unintended segue intro, but we'll tie it back into a nice bow. So when it comes to when it comes to management, what are we really talking about? Management and leadership are kind of two sides of the same coin, I think. And a lot of people don't know whether they want to be better managers or better leaders. And really, when I look at the two and divide it, I look at management as processes and procedures and leadership as people. So if you have a process issue or you have a people issue, that's when you need to wear that management hat or leadership hat. But I was um, putting together a presentation a couple months ago, and I just did a quick Google image search for manager and a quick Google image search for leader. And I will tell you, the types of pictures that come up for managers are not positive. <laughs> Everyone thinks of like micromanaging and getting in your way. And when you go to leader and the images for that, it's all visionary and here we go and let's go together and team oriented. So it's so fascinating, just even when you think of the connotations of the words and how they show up, how manager tends to have that really more negative side of things. It is important. And I think when we look at lawyers specifically, you want to be able to manage everything, right? You want to be able to say, here's my process for X, Y, and Z. If you deviate from it, you are wrong. You've broken it. Bad you. <laughs> And instead of looking at that leadership side and saying, okay, do we have the right processes? How can we support the people in being successful in that? So I think lawyers have a hard time with both, frankly. So from your perspective, we manage things, we lead people. There we go. Okay. See, which is interesting because it's funny that you mention it that way. Um, I find myself to hate being a manager because I hate the micromanager thing, but I do find myself overseeing systems and processes better than other people. Cause I, I can be short. I'm aware of that. I, I mean, I am short anyway, but I can be the other kind of short. It's okay. We're all on zoom. No one knows how tall anyone is anymore. See, I've started telling people I'm five feet tall. So when they see me and I'm five, six, they're like, Oh, you're taller than I expected. I got this, I got this whole system planned out. That's brilliant. I normally tell people I'm 5'10 and I wear a lot of high heels. So um, don't be surprised. There you go. <laughs> the same. But yeah, it is managing things versus managing or um, leading people. And there's a little bit difference in how you lead that has a management aspect. Because I think it comes into accountability is kind of the, the piece that drives those two together. So when you think of processes and things like that, there's a certain sense of accountability that needs to come with managing a process. And when you're on a leadership, you still need to have your team be accountable and you have to be accountable to the team. So I think that's really that line where when you focus on accountability and how you foster accountability at your organization or how you track and manage accountability, that's where it becomes really micromanaging or more leadership driven. So I want to, I want to dive into that, but I want to back up for a second. Obviously, anybody listening or watching this who already owns their own firm, congratulations, you are a manager and a leader, whether you want to be or not. And at some point, you can figure out hiring somebody to take over those roles. But for the people who have not yet made that jump or will not make that jump, who are sitting at another firm, 
working at another company, whatever it is along those lines. Are there certain lawyer things? Are there certain interests? Are there certain feelings they would get that would let them know they might be better in management or they might be better in leadership or they hate both those things and want to remain a you know lawyer or employee or whatever we want to phrase it? Oh, man, I, I don't think you ever get to tap out of leadership or management, frankly, because you've got to self-manage. You've got to do time management. We were just saying, uh, having a conversation, that's still managing yourself. That's still focusing on your own processes and staying accountable to what you said you were going to do. And you've got to be able to lead your clients. Even if you don't have a team beneath you, you've got to be able to lead them and partner with them to get towards your success. See, you're so smart. Because I always tell people, I'm like, all lawyers are salespeople. You know, you are selling somebody hiring you. You are selling your case to a jury or a judge. But I love this from the concept of all lawyers are leaders because you are leading your client through their situation. What a like great that. perspective. John Maxwell's quote on leadership. Actually, before that, there is a study. They interviewed 140 different CEOs and asked them all to define leadership. And they got 140 different answers in the study. And so I, I think everyone wants to think that leadership is kind of that personal journey and it's a little hard to define and nail, but I, I do go back to John Maxwell on his quote is leadership is influenced, nothing more, nothing less. And just like you're always selling, you're always influencing. See, I always, that's interesting. Cause I, I look at it from the, I like leading by example. Cause I, I hate being a hypocrite. That's my least favorite thing. And I'm sure I've done it about a million things. Um, but anyway, so I always look at it from the standpoint of like leadership is the stuff that if other people recreated would make them a great fit inside my company. Can you say maybe, if someone recreated leadership? So like from my standpoint, leadership are the things that I do that if somebody else recreated them or did them their way, that would make them a good fit. So the, you know, being on top of, of emails, the, you know, uh, showing up to the meeting, engage and interacting with everybody and going through those things. Like for me, that's that kind of, I guess that's leading by example, but that's sort of my ideal leadership role, position, viewpoint, mindset. I think that's the behaviors that you're exhibiting, right? The, the behaviors that you're having is I respond to email quickly. I show up on time on meetings, but the values that you're showing those are what's more critical because everyone will have a different behavior, just like tying it back to bit, DISC. DISC is a behavioral assessment of how you will act in a situation. When you're looking at leading or managing or having other team members, creating really strong core values that reflect those behaviors, that's where you get everyone aligned. So if your core value is respecting others, let's say, and you show respecting others through show, being on time for meetings and responding promptly, that's what that means to you. And that's how you tie it to the core value. When you hire people, or when you look at what that is, aligning them to those core values, and even I'm going to say managing or leading <laughs> them back to those core values when you do have a situation or when something deviates, it gives you that set of criteria or really expectations that you can set. I love that because that is you did totally nail that in why those are the things that matter to me because of what you talked about. Like for me, time is worth everything. I mean, that's more important to me than money. And so those things help honor other people's time, which goes back to the respect factor. I think you're big on respect. <laughs> I knew, I already knew that about you. I, I took a wild guess, not too much of a guess, but yeah, knowing that the people that you hire, you want them to have a high respect for others as well. That's what's going to be most, most important. And then when they do something that doesn't respect others, you're able to come back to that agreement and say, this is how it felt like it misaligned with her values. Or even help me understand how this behavior aligns with our core values. So it sounds like, I mean, even, even for the you know, service lawyer who's billing you know, 80 hours a week, it still sounds like it's important for them to come up with like those five to 10 core values to make sure that you know, they're in the right job to make sure that they're handling it the correct way to make sure that they're aligned with the company's mission, just as much as it is for the lawyer who owns their own firm, making sure employees feel the same way. Thousand percent. And I think 10 is a lot 
for core values. I actually suggest like three to five. Okay, um, three to five. Use um, Brene Brown has a great list of core values I can share with you that really helps kind of distill pieces. And when you start looking at them, you'll start to notice um, kind of things that group together. And I tell people, don't just choose a bunch of core values that resonate with you. Um, choose values that resonate for you in that role. So your personal values and your professional values, correct, there's no difference, but you're going to lean into certain professional values that you may not lean into as much personally. So nothing should be out of alignment, but when you look at your professional core values, really thinking of how you want to show up in that, that arena. And that's the dare to lead the list of values. Mm -hmm. All right, breezy. I am going to drop that in the chat here. So if you can please add that to our Facebook feed. So dare to lead dot Brown.com slash they did not use a pretty domain name to get you there, but we'll get it up there. I can also send you the PDF too. It has her information. So it, it's not like I stole it. Um, <laughs> but I do like not just looking at what those top three to five are, but writing out why is that your top three to five? How do you show up with it? What is that like really diving into it? Because when you start to define it, not just the word, the connotation that you have for it, that's where you get other people to align. So you may choose respect and someone else may choose, um, I'm trying to think of like, let me pull up my value list. It's on my dashboard or there's not a lot that's on my desktop, but that is one of the documents that's there. Um, you may say loyalty versus respect. And when you start defining what respect means, it may mean loyalty to someone else or vice versa, or you have an aspect of respect that goes into loyalty where you respect a team and you stay true to it. So a lot of times, as soon as you start to define that one word value, that's where you really get other people to align with it. And it gets more clarity and a common language for it, but isn't so, so one-sided. So. so let me ask the, uh, the wizard question or, or the man behind the curtain question. We're going through this list. We're gonna come up with a three to five. How much of it is this is truly what I feel and how much of it is this is what I want to be, to think, to be known as, to whatever? Like on that fake it till you make it, where are we looking at that for core values? When it comes to core values, there's nothing faking it about okay. it. So you have to feel them and you have to believe them and you have to live them. So if yours is fake it to the make till I make it, your value may be walking the walk. And that's where, when you say what you do, which is also integrity for some people doing what you say you'll do. So all these, they start to kind of tie together, but you can't have a value that you don't actually have a behavior behind. So you can't choose aspirational values, let's say, because then you will never align to them because that's not really how it is. So it goes into more vision building at that point. So when you are building a vision for the firm, for your business, the values have to align to that vision. But, and, and, but I don't know. So like one of them is gratitude. I think that's, this is, I think that's the easiest one to kind of narrow my question. So from the gratitude perspective, obviously I agree with you from the standpoint of if you don't give a rat's butt about gratitude, it's never going to be a value. But I think all of us, certainly me and certainly everyone I've come across can be, can show more gratitude, can be more grateful, can show more of that to other people, get it more back themselves. So is that, so I guess there's a difference in there because you, it does have to matter to you, but you still can be working on being better about implementing the value, I guess. I think that goes into strategic planning or even management will say the processes that you have for your company, for your business, for your firm, those processes should reflect your core values. So if you say that your core value is gratitude, great. What are you doing to exemplify gratitude in your practice? Are you writing thank you notes to all of your clients, telling them that you're grateful? Are you doing social media shout outs for them? Do you have a partner's page on your website that thanks all of your strategic partners? All of those are ways that gratitude can show up really clearly that are part of your business practice and process. So you can manage and you can lead with gratitude. So, all right, so we've got this lawyer. We know that we, I guess, wanna be better as leaders and managers. I think that's probably kind of the first step to then dive into this list of values, to then flush out the 
actions that we take to show these values in a genuine and authentic manner. And then how do we get better at it? What's your, what's your insight, wisdom, guidance, expertise on that part of this management leadership? Huzzah. How do we get better at our values or how do we get better at being a manager or being a leader? The second one. Ah, how do we get better at being manager or leader? Um, the first is building up the awareness and the desire, right? If you don't have desire to be a better leader or better manager, you're not going to be a better leader. <laughs> and no one can force you to do that. People ask, how do you actually coach leadership? Like, well, if someone doesn't want to be coached, if someone doesn't want to get better at it, they won't. So your own decision and determination is part of that. And then building up the awareness of where you have gaps. If you are doing a value exercise or you are doing a leadership audit, really recognizing or doing a 360 will help you understand where are some of my leadership gaps? How am I managing um, could be improved? Where are the processes that I'm missing? And doing a little bit of that internal audit, external audit, but understanding that awareness or even working obviously with a coach to help understand here's where some of my gaps might be. And then you can work on updating them. You can work on closing those gaps, putting together systems, processes, work so that you can improve because improvement takes work, unfortunately, and it takes a lot of practice and leadership and management. There is no gold medal in leadership that says, hey, you're done. <laughs> it is a constant journey. It's a constant evolution. And so it's continuing to take that journey and to choose to get better and to choose to work on it because we all have different opportunities to show up with leadership. We all have different opportunities that are constantly hitting us. And sometimes we need them and sometimes we don't or we opt out of them. So making that conscious choice. So I, do you agree with me? I mean, I feel like everything that you might bring a coach in or consultant in for you do still have to have that same like willingness to change, learn, get better. Thousand percent. Okay. So then from that management side, and I love that we're going to, we're getting, we're getting super meta about this because in essence you are managing your ability to manage things or leading your, or managing your ability to lead people. Um, what, I want to phrase this the right way. Like what do you find to be the most common I don't want to say problems, pushback in that area. Like, I mean, is it, is it that people don't actually want to change? Is it that they don't know how to implement those better systems for that? Is it that they backslide? Like what becomes the biggest struggle they'll face during this self-discovery journey of becoming a better manager or leader? I will say the emotional aspect. I think a lot of those behaviors come back tied to an emotion with it. If you're backsliding, it's because you're, a fear, you're afraid or you're uncomfortable in something. So the emotional baggage that you carry with that will get in your way time and time again. And <laughs> there are times when things are a little bit slower than you'd like them to be. And sometimes progress happens really quickly in an instant. But both of those takes that constant discipline, a little bit of that practice that goes with it, but understanding the underlying emotions that are causing you to do something or limiting you in one way or another. And now you're going into <laughs> feelings and beliefs that will be a huge hurdle on your personal journey for that. I think when you're looking at, oh, good. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm painting my mental picture of what you're, what you're talking about. <laughs> painting the picture of, of what it means to go on that leadership journey. And you have your two suitcases of emotional baggage. And sometimes you unpack one. <laughs> hey, if I've only got two suitcases of emotional baggage, I'm doing pretty well. I had my hands up with that. And don't forget, there's a backpack there and like a rolling thing behind it. Um, you know, sometimes you can drop them off too. You say, thanks. This is where you're going to stay. I didn't need to take that with me anymore. Um, got a little too heavy. I, I'm trying to figure, I, I guess, look, here's the thing. Every company has a culture. Every company has a brand. Every company has core values, even if they don't actually know what they are or are taking steps to formulate them, then they're still there. Like there is still something happening in situations that are not managed properly, not led properly, whatever. So is it possible to like bring in the right leader to bring in the right core values? Or is that like a one in a million thing? I don't think you can ever say bring in the right 
core values. Nothing is right or wrong. The culture has been formed through the community, right? Everyone, they've started to normalizing different things and behaviors, and they're probably getting rewarded for it as well, which is why they continue. So cultural issues definitely have a tie into values. I think when you look at either yourself and how you want to display your values in that environment and be the disruptor, and it's probably a positive one, knowing that you have an uphill battle ahead of you, you have challenges and that's okay. And mostly if you're doing the right thing, as I'm gonna say loosely, cause I know that's one of your values, right? Doing the right thing. Uh, it may take some time, but sticking to your guns and knowing what the right thing is and showing up with leadership, that will slowly shift the culture um, experience after experience. Bringing in new leadership or someone else that doesn't align to those cultural norms and just wants to come in with a sledgehammer and say, here's our new values, guys, better stick with them. That's not really great change management either, right? That's not going to get everyone on board. So I will say um, earlier this year, I actually stepped onto uh, a board. So I, I joined a board, my association, um, and within the first four months, I'm actually now the president of that board. And there were some leadership challenges. There was a medical emergency. I didn't just like commandeer the ship, right? Um, it, was a, it was a mutiny of uh, talent development. There, there actually was a bit of a mutiny. Um, oh, well, there we go. <laughs> so there, there was some challenge. There was a lot of ship uh, metaphors going on. But I, I looked at the team and I said, okay, what are our values? Like, what are we really here to do? Everyone is here to create a community and they're passionate and they're driven. And how can we lean into that? And really using the values that I got from the team, I crafted a slightly different vision. And I said, here's, here's what our mission is. Here's what we're going to do that I knew everyone had some buy-in and could really rally around that cry and say, yes, that's exactly what is encapsulating the things that we love and bringing that to the forefront. So letting go of some of the past things and moving forward to here's what we can control, here's where we can focus our energy, and this is what we want it to be. And really just driving forward with that. And I like that you talked about it was a slight change or slight correction, because obviously, you know, like to go back to the ship analogy, like it's really easy if you're already going this direction to, you know, veer the ship a little bit to port or starboard than it is to do a 180 turn with a ship and go a totally different way. Thousand percent. That is that it. Nothing is that agile, particularly when you're talking about uh, uh, practices or, you know, this was a, an organization over a hundred years for this association. I don't need to change 180. They've been around for a hundred plus years. They're amazing at what they do. We just need to right the ship and make sure that we actually, <laughs> the analogy I use is we're, we're going to get the ship back on course. We're going to course correct a little bit. We're going to take some of that cargo off. We're going to lighten the load, <laughs> make sure that it, it's a little bit faster and streamlined and turn it into a bit of a booze cruise. Because one of the values that I really wanted it to be was fun. And I will say leading volunteers is a different 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 uh circus than leading employees because they're there voluntarily so making sure that fun and joy was part of those values that we we went with was really important for that team so from the from the law firm perspective normally when we talk about the differences between law firms we talk about it from different practice areas from different firm sizes from different locations um from a leadership perspective are we going to find our differences the same way or is it really just truly that you know part mostly the individual nature of the owner head of the firm with a little bit of that uh i don't know willingness to group think some of this um i think you're saying one of the differentiators for different law firms is leadership or the the owner right and how can they be different leaders or is it? Yeah, I'm, I mean, look, we're all going to have, every firm is probably going to have different values for the most part. I think there are certain things that like, it would be as much as, as much as PI attorneys get the ambulance chaser joke, it is, or I guess for some people, for not ev for everybody, it's probably not a joke, but it is truly that much more difficult to practice that area of law if you are really in it for the money because there's just so many opportunities to like screw over each client and therefore not build that right reputation and groundswell 
if you're not actually caring about the client, not actually putting them first. And from a, you know, criminal defense standpoint, if you are truly a, you know, law and order, thin blue line person, you don't necessarily see the case from your client's perspective. So there are going to be certain values kind of baked into it. But are we looking at this being, you know, 75% sort of the owner leading through their values? Is it a 50% everybody sort of pitching in on what makes the most sense? Is it 100% the owner and really just hoping that you're putting in the right values? I think when you have an owner, and this is always really hard for owner-operated businesses because it's their baby. They've grown it from the beginning. It was all them at one point or it still is all them. So their values are the business values, plain and simple, no difference between that. When you start to grow and you have more people involved and you start having a team, making sure that their values align with yours is going to make better hires. It's going to make better growth. But it's also how you're crafting the vision for that team and vision for that practice. Because without that, you're just going to, you know, project. No one wants to have their the other people's values forced on them. And if you are such a, I'll say, strong leader, for lack of a better word, or let's say forceful or dictatorship style leader where you're just pushing your values on the rest of the team that's not leadership right no one no one thinks man i i they've jammed these values down my throat i totally believe them now and i'm totally aligned to the mission and rah rah team let's go that's not particularly great leadership that's just a dictatorship so i think when you look at leading a law practice making sure that you have alignment with the team that it's more than just yourself that you you understand more of that servant style leadership that's where you have um, a very different in practice and how it shows up so i love the the quote management is about getting people to do things they don't want to do leadership is about inspiring people to do things they never thought they could and that's from Steve Jobs. And that's a very big difference in what type of a manager or leader you want to be in a law firm. I love that. So what about the, the pushback of employees not, I don't want to say not caring. That's not the right word. But like I, I have talked to a number of law firm owners that have the issue of they're surrounded by yes people. or And not even so much from the standpoint of like, oh, this is a great idea, you're the boss. Or from a standpoint of like, look, this is your firm, this is my job. So like, I will do it the way that you wanna do it, no problem, you know it better, you've been doing it longer, whatever. What's the tip, trick, insight in that situation? Because obviously I think the like, we have a, to go back to the other, we have a full mutant in our hands. I think that's easy. Like you have the wrong people in the team in some manner. Do you still have the wrong people in the team if it's the, you know, too easygoing of a, of a group? Sounds like you're worried about disengagement, right? I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. So, <laughs> so if you're a disengaged employee, right? They're not, it's kind of apathetic. They don't care what happened. They're going through the motions all the time. They're, they're not engaged and aligned to your vision and like full in. They don't have the enthusiasm for it. It's apathy. Uh, maybe. So I'm, I'm trying to, and obviously, look, I'm combining, you know, 15 people's different feedback on this issue into uh -huh. this. <laughs> there are definitely some that are in that boat. And then there are some that are like the halfway point between that and success where like, it's not, it's not that the employees don't care. It's not that they're apathetic. It's just that they don't, the owner cares that much more. And so the employees are willing to follow, you know, with the smile, with the right face, with common sense, with whatever, is that still a problem? Depends. It depends. Okay. So even going to disc, right? Everyone has a voice. Everyone has different opinions. Everyone expresses it differently. And I think giving your team the opportunity to share their thoughts and actively engage and partake in the goals and vision of the organization, that's where you get higher engagement. Um, I'm presenting at the beginning of September for the Greater Oak Book uh, chapter of SHRM, being a business leader versus a business parent. And I think what you're talking about is kind of falling into that more parental behavior, right? You're just babysitting everyone. They're looking to you for permission to do something and they haven't really been empowered or engaged to, to go for it just a little bit more and, and have that enthusiasm driving it. So I always look at, you know, how have you inspired that behavior? 
what opportunities do you continue to just spoon feed them the answers or how are you engaging them to think or to make their own decisions as scary as it is for a business owner if that's what you really want you've got to be able to have the actions to support it and leading them instead of managing them is really that difference right that is a terrifying concept of business parenting uh, versus business leading, but it does make sense. Yeah, it, there's times when you need to, of course, you need to show them the ropes and you need to train them and onboard them. But if you're always parenting them and you're always in that micromanagement, if they're not, if they're looking to you to do everything, you have put yourself in a constant parenting role and you're not leading them. They're, you're not empowering them. They're not inspired. They're just going to go back to you and get the answer every time. And that's really where you have to start coaching your team and leading in a different way. I know. I, I try to tell high school students, law students, undergrad students, whatever. I was like, if you can Google answers really well, that is a hugely sought after skill. And every, yeah, and it's people laugh and they look at me sideways. And then like the more they get into it, they're like, yeah, you know what, you're right. Like there's going to be moments where everyone's stuck in court, where there's some emergency coming up, where there's something that's never happened before, where there's something that's not in the policy and procedure that you weren't trained on. And just like the ability to be able to figure out a viable enough answer without being able to get in contact with anybody else for whatever reason is immensely helpful. I love the, let me Google that for you. I don't know if you've ever seen that gif. Um, when someone does ask you a question, you just want to be completely passive aggressive about it. But even, you know, it, it, instead of teaching people how to Google for themselves, frankly, that's the critical thinking, that's problem solving at its finest. Googling is problem solving, which I know sounds a little silly, but even just asking your team before you give them the answer, what have you tried? What would you do? What do you think? Empowering them to, to work through it so that you're encouraging that problem solving, you're encouraging that critical thinking instead of just always, oh, here's the quick answer. Hey, I know this because you have the experience. But coaching them into that will make your life a lot easier in the long run and will make them more empowered and more engaged in the work that they do. So look, I normally during these conversations on the show, I am... I don't know, 80% knowledgeable, something along those lines. Like I learn a bit of pretty much every show, but like this is the one where I feel like the fish being told to ride a bicycle because I obviously I have managed and have led despite not being incredibly uh, intentional about it. So I am way out of my normal wheelhouse zone of genius, et cetera here. So what are we missing? Like we've got, you know, up to about 20 minutes if we end early, great. But like, what am I totally leading, leaving out and not leading you towards super smart answer, helpful insight, wisdom, et cetera? I'm going to say it's going to start with intentionality. So a lot of us become managers or business leaders or owners, and we haven't really thought about what kind of a leader we want to be. What kind of a manager do you want to be? Who are the people that did it really well and who are the people that didn't? So I'll say most people have really great examples of bad managers. They don't have great examples of great bosses. And so thinking preemptively before you get in that position or when you are there, who do I want to be? What are the values I want to lead with? How do I want to handle these situations? And really thinking through what your vision of leadership looks like. That way you can align yourself to it and work towards that. Because if you don't have one, you're just, I would say, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like shooting fish in a barrel, wrong one. I just wanted to get back on the fish on a bicycle one. Um, but if you don't have something, you don't know what you're working towards and you're being really sporadic with it, right? You're not being intentional. You're just seeing what comes at you. And I even ask clients sometimes, who's a great leader in a movie that you admire? How did they lead? What were the challenges that they overcame? And thinking about how you can take some of those approaches, even though it's a fictional character, into your own practice and your own style, it does a ton of good for you to have that picture of what success looks like, because it's very, very rare um, that people did have great leaders. And if they do, or great mentors, they love talking about it. 
I would say a lot of people's vision is actually saying, I want to be that great leader that someone else talks about. I want to be the person that they come back to, that they talk to years later in their career and think. So, okay. So then to take that and circle back to something I brought up earlier, it, then it does sound like once you have the, I don't know, core of core values in place, like once you have this plan in place, it does sound like you are able to bring in people to help implement that, but that you do need that solid foundation first. I think everything has a certain foundation of that, the core values, the foundation of the process, the foundation of who you're serving, what you're doing. It's like a business plan light. I'm not big on, oh, hey, you need to spend a bazillion hours putting together the most robust business plan, but you got to have some of the foundational pieces because if you don't have that direction, if you're not pointing somewhere, everyone that's trying to help you doesn't know how. And this idea of leading your team and giving them that direction so that you can align them towards it and empowering them to support you, that's way, one, it's a little bit easier than trying to do it all yourself, right? Instead of telling everyone everything that they want to do and it's more enjoyable. So that's where you're going to find a lot more success. And you can say the core values, having some big goals, having a vision for the organization, knowing yourself what kind of leader you want to be, setting those expectations for the rest of the team. That's going to set you up for success and give you that foundation to build off of. I love it. I mean, it's it. you're right. All It's so funny to me. So one, the longer I do this, the more I realize that every business is like 90% the same as every other business. You just sell something different. Um, but ultimately, or and ultimately, every process or every idea is really the same, 90% the same idea. You know, it's having the marketing plan in place before you do it. It's having the org chart in place before you start hiring. It's having the job description in place. It's just, it's all that, you know, plan, give it a shot, tweak it, edit it, make, see how it worked, and then redo it or fix it. But for that plan to work and to be successful, or even for you to measure the success of it, you've got to have the vision of what you want it to look like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm there. It's the, uh, you, your business needs a GPS. You know, you need to know what the end destination is going to be for everything that you're doing to see whether or not you're closer or not. Exactly. And that's how you manage towards it. That's how you lead towards it. All right. So then same question again, now that we've been through that one, is there anything else that we are totally missing because I'm digging this conversation so much, but I want to make sure that you're getting the right insight, wisdom, knowledge to everybody listening, watching. I was going to say, were there any other questions that came up? I know you said there were a lot of people that were asking about it. I want to make sure I, I get through anything specific. Sure. Um, I, I mean, the biggest thing was just, we went, so the, the law profession has very long been an insular profession. We self-regulate, we self-train. Law school doesn't actually teach you how to be a lawyer. It teaches you how to think. So then you go to a firm and you find a mentor who might be a manager, who might be a boss, who might be a leader, who might be something along those lines. And then you're there for long enough to learn from them and you continue to move up and then you start training the next batch in some manner. And now what we've seen through, especially COVID over the last two years, a lot of people forcibly having to open up their own firms, a lot of people forcibly having to change jobs, a lot of lawyers really hitting a, I don't want to say even rough patch, but just a, a drastic change and therefore losing that mentorship aspect, that management aspect, that leadership aspect from the receiver of that, uh, just as much as law firm owners being concerned about being the giver of those things to other attorneys, other employees, mentees, etc. So that's really where this came out is from that problem. I love, I love that there's people out there thinking, man, I need a mentor, I need a mentor, or I want to, to mentee someone, or hey, I need help on finding a direction or guidance with it. And that is so critical, obviously in the legal industry, but I will say any entrepreneur, because a lot of these lawyers are finding themselves in an entrepreneur position. And when you do that, there are tons of things you don't know and some things that you do and finding resources, coaches, consultants, other people that are going through the same thing that you can create those shared experiences with is an incredibly powerful resource. So the fact that everyone's already looking for support as they go through this transition, I would say is kind of rare. 
frankly, where you're used to having that mentor-mentee relationship. So it's incredibly, I'd say refreshing. And that's right. I'm using the word refreshing with the law industry, the <laughs> practice. But having something like that built in, I think is really, really powerful. I'd say a lot of those relationships are probably much more dysfunctional. So if you don't have one of them, you're idealizing what it would be like to have this amazing mentor that would just give you all the answers. And I'd say most likely that's not really the case. Well, and then to take that and backtrack to your, you know, movie leader, I, I liked suits at least for the first, I don't know, eight years. And I was like, oh, you know, they're awesome. But then when you really break down every episode, it's like, forget ethics. Let's just blackmail people into doing what we want, like every you know, 45 minutes. Uh, and also having a completely fake lawyer who like hacked into Harvard to get a fake degree. I don't know, whatever, whatever it was by whatever season they finally did anything along those lines. So like there is this concept of like really, I, I don't know, the only law show I've, I have seen to be somewhat realistic was The Grinder with Rob Lowe and one of the Savage Brothers. I don't know if you saw it. No. So I'm the only one who thought it was funny. I thought it was hilarious. Rob, their brothers, Rob Lowe plays a TV lawyer on a show called The Grinder, and then they go on hiatus or he has a breakdown at whatever it was, and he comes home to the actual family's law firm to see what it's really like, which is run by Fred Savage or Ben Savage. I apologize for not remembering which one. And it was so funny because like they were so over the top dry. I was like, but that's the realistic part, and it was done for laughs. Whereas like every other show is like, hey, let's, you know, this person came in at 10, we're going to trial in 20 minutes on this huge gigantic case. And we found this missing evidence and the, and the real killer runs in at the last minute. And, you know, all these crazy things that never happen because it is kind of dry and boring. And I don't even remember what I was going for with this. Oh, uh, so you end up stuck with like these mentors who would, or these fake TV mentors who really are awful attorneys. No offense to Harvey Specter or or Denny Crane or whomever else, but like they'd probably be disbarred really quickly or in jail for the things that happen on TV shows in real law practice. Well, I think what you're bringing up a great point is like linear thinking of, oh, I want to find an example for it. Let me look at other lawyers on TV. I would say expand what it means to be a leader to any industry or any profession. I don't care if you're watching Braveheart or if you're watching some Airbud, um, there's still different ways that people are mentoring and leading people in those movies that can, you can still apply to your practice and your style. So you don't have to find an example that's in your industry. You just want to think of how they're leading and what they're doing for their mentee or mentor. And that's the type of relationship you want to create. See, that's why I always find myself going back to sports. Like the sport coach, I think is the closest thing to a law firm owner. The problem being law firm owners don't also have an owner and a bunch of assistant coaches and nutritionists and 7,000 other people. But the concept of like when they interview a coach, especially after a bad game, like especially after when everybody, you know, pooped the bed, what do they do? Is it, you know, is it their fault? Is it, is it their player's fault? Is it, you know, and that's always what I find to be the easiest way to learn leadership is really looking at professional coaches, how they handle the really crummy games? Well, I think when you're looking at being a leader of a law firm and you, you're taking more of that coaching approach for, for your players and for the team, that's a very different perspective and a very different role that you're playing than head lawyer. And moving and transitioning into that leadership and what it means to put on that leadership hat instead of just the great lawyer hat is where a lot of lawyers get tripped up. And a lot of business owners because they're technical experts and you are the technical expert and sometimes you're the leader and sometimes you're the only person there and that takes leadership as well but transitioning and continuing to grow not just the technical expertise but that coaching but that leading hat is where you find success for the larger firms and where people are happier and where you will be happier because you're not trying to wear all of the hats I would challenge that it is a lot like having that sports team and that coach where you do have other people that are supporting the players. You do have the sports nutritionist, you have the marketers, you have the sales coaches, you have the other people, you have the accounting experts and the finance that are supporting them 
not necessarily directly, but giving some of that advice and being experts in their own area so that the players can play the best that they can. I love your ability to take all of my half-cocked analogies and actually bring them back into making sense. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's a good analogy. There we go. All right. So uh, as we get towards the end here, um, please go ahead and watch Sharon's episode, do the three-minute rundown on building your happy life because next, so this Thursday, sorry, not next, this Thursday, so in three days, one one thirty Eastern time, Breezy? Okay, so one thirty Eastern time, we're going to have Aaron Thomas on to talk about marketing strategies you can implement when time is scarce. But during that episode, we are going to redo our three-minute run on from Sharon V's episode. So you want to catch it now. Otherwise, it'll be really awkward when you're listening to that episode. So that'll be at Thursday at one thirty with Aaron Thomas on marketing strategies you can implement when time is scarce, which it should be for all of us because it's always ticking and you can never get more time. Really sad, but also important to keep in mind. Uh, but enough about that, because I'm not going to let Megan go without that final nugget of wisdom, that biggest takeaway. If somebody's been listening to this for the last 50-something minutes and they remember nothing that we said, what is your biggest piece of advice on how they can be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? It can be management and leadership focused, something we've already talked about. It can be something totally different. But if you could talk into the brain of as many attorneys as possible, what would you want to make sure stuck in there? Say management is making sure that things are consistent and things are getting done the way that they need to be do, done. Leadership is about change. So when you think about being a manager and making sure that you're building the process and the machine and that it's continuing to run smoothly, that's the time for management. When you're thinking about change and being agile and growth, that's when it's time to be a leader. I love it. This has been truly one of the most fascinating episodes. And I'm going to have to go back and listen to this because I'm sure I missed stuff as I was here. Or with, or with the benefit of not with the benefit of hindsight. I don't know. I'm, I'm too close to the conversation for some of it. I was going to say, so. we need to focus and be in it. You can't take all the notes, but I'm sure you had the takeaways that, that you needed and spoke most to you, Jordan. This has been so much fun for me and just a joy to be on the show. So thank you. Of course. The only downside is I hate the sound of my own voice. So I might have to power through that. I'll have, a, I'll have Breezy cut me out a copy of just what you had to say, and that'll be a lot easier. No one likes the sound of their own voice. So you're not alone with that one. Good. I just hope everybody else doesn't hate the sound of my own voice. My, I don't know. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. This is wonderful. Uh, I don't want to go too far upfield, but as a lot of you shared that management, leadership, mentorship being the toughest thing, I hope that we were able to give you quite a number of takeaways and some places to start, specifically those lists of core values, and then start working that into what you do and how you live up to those values as a person, as a lawyer, and as a company. Thank you so much for being here, Megan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of a successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.